0: Hello everyone and welcome to Season 2 of the Yonsei Podcast. My name is Matt from DK Rising and I'll be one of your hosts for today's episode. As the young adult branch of Japanese American Memorial Pilgrimages, we'll be bringing you roundtable discussions with young adults involved in and around the Japanese American community to honor our community's history and explore the implications for today.
1: Hey y'all, I'm Hiro, your other host for today's episode of the Yonsei Podcast. For this very special episode, we'll be changing things up and sitting down with a single guest to talk about what it's like to be Japanese-American in the entertainment industry.
0: Our special guest today is Derek Mio. Ayonsei, born and raised in Southern California, and a fellow alumni of the University of Southern California School of Cinematic Arts. You might know Derek from his appearances as Wade Matthews in Greek, Elliot on Spooked, his time as Medal of Honor recipient Hiroshi Hiroshi Miyamura in Netflix's Medal of Honor, and of course his most well-known role as Chester Nakayama in AMC's The Terror Infamy. We're so pleased to have you with us today, Derek. Hey, what's up, Peter and Matt? Thank you so much for having me. Thank
1: you so much for joining us for this episode, Derek. So to get started,
2: Derek, we'd love to hear
1: a little bit about what exactly inspired you to go into the entertainment.
2: Um, I mean, it's it's not as simple a question as it appears. Um, The short answer, I would say, what inspired me to go into entertainment would be, I guess, my mom, who, you know, she was always very you know, kind of theatrical and, and like she would, she would act out, you know, you would think that she was a theater major, but you know, she was in uh, education her whole career. She was a a started out as a public school teacher and moved her way up to become a, a principal. But my mom was always just, she would be doing impressions. Like whenever she was telling a story, she would, you know, do it as the person, you know, and these are like family members. These are like, you know, church members or just whoever, yeah. <laughs> you know, the story was about, like she would just act it out. And, you know, at a young age, I was, uh you know, I always loved watching TV and movies and the whole family, you know, some of my fondest memories were just sitting down and watching a uh, Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King or, you know, going to the movie theater on Christmas Day as a family and just you know, it was always kind of watching and around movies and TV. The Oscars was another big event in our household. It was something I always look forward to. You know, my mom would be cooking a, a meal and we'd have the, the red carpet on and she'd be talking about, you know, who's wearing what and all the interviews and who's going to win. Yeah. And the, uh, you know, oh my gosh, they got upset by this person or or this film won that. And it was always this kind of something that I always look forward to. And I mean, if you want to go back even further, you know, the way I think that she became kind of a, a performer was that her father, who, my grandpa Stanley Kaizawa, who was from Hawaii, and he served in the, the MIS, in the Military Intelligence Service. Uh, which is another reason why, you know, doing the terror was such a special experience for me. But mm-hmm. so my, my grandpa, if you look at photos and you hear stories, he was also this kind of performer. I mean, it's 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 really interesting. I mean, there's a whole kind of exhibit on his work at uh, the University of Hawaii, because while he was in the MIS and, you know, by the time he, he finished his basic training, the war had ended, but so he went over to Japan for the, um, the occupation and the Mm -hmm. restoration of Japan and his specialty was as a kind of cultural attache, you know, being in the MIS, you had to have Mm -hmm. a high level of, of Japanese and his, you know, his Nihongo was, was really good. It was really proficient. Mm -hmm. So really interesting detail that he had was he was embedded in Kabuki theater and he was kind of, in charge of overseeing the scripts and the material and kind of making sure that there wasn't any kind of hidden messages in the in the in the dialogue you know and in so i mean basically he was a script reader you know he was a scripty for kabuki theater and i think he had a big hand in preserving kabuki theater as well because you know it's it's looked at this kind of you know, this this art form that if you were a foreigner, you wouldn't really know what it's about and what they're doing or talking about, you know, but so I think he was kind of like a, a middleman and in, in saying, this is an art form that that should be preserved. And in the process, he became like drinking buddies with some of Japan's biggest kabuki artists, you know, and he would you know, they were pretty poor after the war. So he would bring them kind of, he would bring them alcohol and, and cigarettes and whatever else they needed, food for their families. And he became really, you know, like a, like a friend to, to these really famous kabuki artists. And so he had this kind of fascination with performance art, you know, never really did it himself, except for when, you know, we'd, we'd ask him, he would make that kabuki face where they kind of derange their face and go cross-eyed and, and yeah, you know, I, I remember that as a little kid. And so, and so, yeah, I mean, the, during this whole process of, you know, having having acted in the terror and kind of hearing questions like these, it's, you, you really kind of, you have to dig deep and see, well, who, who am I and where does it come from? You know, it's not yeah. like it, it, not just, I, I just had it on my own, you know, one day right. and just develop, it's, it's kind of makes you think of how ingrained it is, whether it's in the DNA or the blood or whatever, and how how much of who we are gets passed down from us, you know, from our parents and our grandparents. But I can definitely trace that kind of performance bug all the way from my mom to my to my grandpa and, and to other members of my family as well.
1: That is so cool. I, I think it's really great that your inspirations are your own family. You know, I feel like there's a lot of actors who give credit to Actors that they grew up watching, but definitely being able to hear that it, it was truly your family who who inspired you to do this
2: is amazing. And yeah, I mean, I, I, there's definitely you know other actors and performers who made a big impression on me. You know, I, we, I talk about the uh, impressions, and you know, I love I love doing impressions. I've been doing them since I was a little kid because my mom would do them, and I you know I was I was watching uh, Saturday Night Live reruns, you know, with Dana Carvey and and all these guys who I've since been able to to meet doing stand-up comedy. And yeah, it's, it's just, uh, it's kind of fascinating to see it come from the family, but also be, you know, inspired by people that I've enjoyed watching
0: growing up. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, I think that's really cool. And I can definitely relate to that. I think, as I mentioned earlier, having gone to USC as well and, and been part of the film school, I think a lot of that love for for film and entertainment also came from from my dad who I grew up watching movies with and of course grew up like watching Dana Carvey and SNL and loved loved their style of comedy and loved all that. And I think that was a large part of what got me involved with it as well was just seeing how much my dad how much of an impact it made on my dad and even my mom and and the different stories they would tell, whether it was things like like about the camps. Um I know one one movie that made a big impact on me was Come See the Paradise. And I saw that when I was a kid. And that also got me super involved in both our community and also in wanting to tell stories through film and wanting to to work with it as a medium. So I think sort of transitioning with that, I think we can obviously kind of see that path that led you towards um, wanting to go to film school and study film in college. So I think if you want to talk a little bit more about that journey um, and what it was like going getting into film school and also going to film school, but also sort of that... Transition of because, again, knowing what USC and and the film program is like, sort of learning what it's like to be behind the camera, but also in front of the camera um, and how those sort of interplay together.
2: Oh, Matt, that that is a whole other (laughs) that is a whole other story. And (laughs) again, it coming back to someone from the community, from uh, a connection through my family, how. I even ended up at USC film school. It wasn't as simple as, Oh, I've grown up watching TV and movies. I would like to do that someday. I, I want to apply to film school. It was, it was not that at all. I mean, you can, you can find this in so many different points in my career, how, how lucky I am. Just basically just pure luck and other people kind of intervening and divinely like steering me on this this past so the way that i ended up at usc film school was you know i'm a public school kid i always thought you know i was going to go to to ucla or i always like you know was brought up to believe you know oh ucla it's just this this great you know public school this great uc other uh, the sports and it's you know it's close and the campus it's beautiful and the people everything is just you know like i th- i really thought that I was going to end up there, and it was actually, I think, on the on the way home. You know, you go and you tour these campuses, mm. to get a feel for it. On the way back, we stopped off at USC on a lit, <laughs> you know. And here, here, my mom is thinking like, "Oh, this this kid's never going to go to USC," <laughs> you know. But you know, let's expand his horizons. Let's just let's let's see. You know, let's yeah, let's see what they got, see what they're about. Just just. For the sake of it. And they gave us this private tour, you know, on a golf court and golf cart and, you know, showed off the film school. And I'm just sitting there thinking, like, this is a major? You can major in film? Like, I I just didn't know that it was possible. And so eventually, through the grapevine, a family friend who I accredit with being responsible for, for getting me into this whole industry. Uh, his name is Dan Watanabe, and he was a graduate of USC Film School. And he was also the son of someone who served in the MIS with my grandpa's mm-hmm. family from Hawaii. And Dan is just, he's all about mentoring, and he's so passionate about the, the business and the industry and he kind of rushed me it, it, like it was a fraternity, you know, he really, you know, he, he came down from LA to, to sit with me, and my parents and say, this is something that Derek should pursue. If he has any sort of interest, definitely something he should pursue. Of course, at the time I wasn't, you know, as knowledgeable or as comfortable in my own skin. I wasn't this like performer or I wasn't this, you know, really, uh, um, Polished filmmaker or anything I just I just loved movies and I loved TV and I was curious and he wrote me a letter of recommendation and it's so funny on the same day that I get the big envelope from UCLA, the acceptance letter, right you get the big envelope right It's always a good sign you get the big one. I get a small one I get the small letter uh, envelope from uh, USC film school. And so, you know, everyone's thinking like, oh, I guess you didn't get in USC film school, but hey, UCLA, you know? And uh, I don't know why, but I took that envelope from USC. I went into the bathroom and I had this little moment to myself. It was, it was, it it so reminds me of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory where he like (laughs) peeling back, peeling back that golden ticket. And, you know, I opened it and sure enough, it says congratulations. And so now we're just, (laughs) <laughs> we just kind of dumbfounded at this point. My family, like, oh man, so what do we do now? You know, and it was a long process. You know, it wasn't it wasn't easy. Like, yes, USC Film School all the way. It was like, you know, you had to think about the cost and oh yeah, the fact that it's USC and it's you know <laughs> the location and all these things. And so. I guess, long story short, I just, you know, decided to take the road less travel and had a little bit of debt to my parents. Uh, <laughs> definitely really, <laughs> But yeah, I, I owe it all to them, you know, for supporting the decision. It was not easy by any means, but it, it's definitely what led me to be where I am today. You know, you could trace that one thing that led to that one thing
0: to that other thing. And, you know, I don't know if it would have happened if I hadn't chosen to go to film school. I can definitely relate to a lot of that. I mean, also growing up going to public school and then wanting to go to USC and especially going to the film school was was such a daunting task. I actually ended up doing a major was in history, but I got my my minor in cinema because I wanted to do film, but there was no way I was getting into film school. And it, I mean, even my time there, the few classes I took, it was it was amazing. It was so much fun. And I also remember seeing um I think when the terror came out, you visited a class at USC. I think on um, television shows, if I'm correct. Which, funny enough, I was in that class. I think the semester before you were there. Was it the the Asian um, Pacific? I think it might have been the Asian Pacific class, or it was the was it Television Symposium?
2: That that sounds from yes,
0: yes, actually. I, I think you're talking about when Alex Wu, the showrunner of the terror, mm-hmm. and I visited that same class. Yeah, I yeah. think that was it. Yeah, I was in there the yeah, the semester before you came and I when I saw you when I saw that you had attended that class I was so sad cuz I was like, "Oh, I missed <laughs> it by by that much." But but hey, look, now we get to finally connect in much more in-depth way I think than that class. Yeah, you you got any questions, Matt?
2: <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm here. <laughs> um no, but that was that was definitely a, another pinch me moment of, mm-hmm. you know, just thinking back to all those classes that you sit in as a student and you know, you have these lofty dreams and goals of one day being up there as a guest, you know, and to be doing it, it's just, uh, it really was like a dream come true. I mean, definitely a different facility than I attended when I was in film school, some nice additions over there at the film school, but no, it's, it's always, uh, just nice to reflect on it all. Just, I guess it's, It's about the journey, right?
0: That they say. Definitely. And so I think going along those same lines, you talked about a little bit about wanting to be in front of the camera and then going to film school and sort of looking at what it's like being behind the camera. So I think, do you have a preference for, for one or the other, or do you just enjoy film as a whole and, and the entire process, whether you're, you're in front or behind it?
2: I definitely just love, yeah, the process, you know, the, the end product, you know, just watching TV and movies. I I did fall in love with editing when I was at film school. I really enjoyed that. There's something very gratifying about, you know, having the creative control, selecting these very specific pieces of moments and stringing them together to have a finished product to show for. And that's just the best feeling. There's so many times where whether it was for film school or for a personal project where you know you stay up for hours into the night because you just want to finish it and to have something to show for at the end of it like a, a finished product it's uh, it was so gratifying and you know that's still a goal of mine for sure to be in a creative position whether that's writing and directing you know I'm still a really big fan of Filmmakers and artists and um, auteurs and just like acting, you you think about the films and the projects that you you want to create one day and and add your perspective on it, whether it's in the story or if it's in film work, the the camera work or the the editing. Um, however, but yeah, I mean, I definitely do enjoy the entire process. So. I don't know. You know, it's, it's hard to say because the terror fulfilled so much for me. And I feel like for the bulk of my career, I've, I've been chasing this role that, that I was so fortunate to have landed in the terror, you know, to be a lead on on a TV series and, and work with people that I admire, you know, like Ridley Scott and his whole team and everyone at AMC you know, and to, to be working on such a prestigious network and with everyone involved that, you know, now I kinda have an itch to create content, whether that's through writing and uh directing, but also, you know, staying in front of the camera as well. But try to bring forth stories that are are personal mm-hmm. and have a, a deep meaning for me.
1: And actually staying on the topic of the terror, I know When the first trailer dropped, Matt and I were so excited, we were texting back and forth. So, while there have have been several movies and documentaries on the incarceration, the, the Supernatural TV series The Terror was really the first from a major network. And because of that, what did it mean to you to be a part of this show, along with many other Japanese and Nikkei actors from around the world?
2: It meant so much to me, personally, to be involved with The Terror obviously because I have direct connections with the, the settings in which the story takes place. or The story starts out in uh, Terminal Island, and my grandfather on my other side, my dad's father, actually grew up in the actual Terminal Island. It was a real Japanese immigrant community, and the family, we always knew about Terminal Island, but I don't think it was this well-known thing, and for it to be the opening setting for this amc television show you know it was quite it was quite something when i first learned Mm -hmm. about that which made it of course all the more special to be a part of and just the whole process of you know auditioning and going back and interviewing family members and and really while this is a ghost story it is a horror show there is a fantastical genre element to it the fact that this actually happened to a large portion of the Japanese community. Everyone that was involved with this project from the top to bottom, whether you were Japanese or not, we all felt this mission to expose this injustice, but also just to, to honor these people and these communities who lost so much and to not you know, exploit it, but to really kind of honor their, their story and so you really felt that all the way from costume design. I mean, the, just extensive, extensive research of uh, mm-hmm. production design. We had an amazing production designer. These uh, these barracks at the internment camps were basically built to scale. I mean, these are like just like the ones that were built back in the day in the guard towers. And so everyone that was involved with this project you just you just felt it i mean you know we had we had our fun on set as well but just the level of commitment to do your best work on this show you know the makeup everything uh, you really you really did feel it on on set and i think there was just a really strong bond that was formed between everyone involved on this on this show you know whether it was from the offices to everyone on set, um, front, behind the camera, everyone. It was, uh, definitely a, a really special experience to be a part of. Sorry, what was the question? Oh, <laughs> uh,
1: I think you, you, you hit it on the nail. It, it's, uh, what did it mean to you to be a part of the show?
2: Yeah. I mean, ah, uh, it's just, it's, it's hard to just put it in a sentence. I mean, there were so many days where, you know, we filmed up in Vancouver, and you're you're filming till two, three in the morning, and you're under the the stars in Vancouver, and and I, I was just so many moments that I was just filled with so much gratitude about how I'm even in this position. You know, whether it's being mm-hmm. able to act with George Takei, a legend in not only the the business but the community as well. Yeah, it's and and just the fact that you know my grandfather from Terminal Island my grandfather who's in the MIS I get to you know reconnect with them a little bit and yeah it's 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 really hard to to describe to the point where you know once we had completed filming and I came back from Vancouver it was really it was really low you know this mm-hmm. this you hear about this kind of postpartum depression it really was cuz it was like you know, we were doing it every day. And then when you have to just all of a sudden one day say, all right, that's it. We're done. It's 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 hard. It really is hard to, to readjust. And it took me a while to the point where I was like, I don't know if I can continue doing this because there's nothing that's going to compare to it in terms of the meaning and, and the connection and everything like that. But I've since come around and uh, I'm available for hire. If anyone's, if
0: anyone's wondering. <laughs> well, I definitely think all that care and attention to detail and, and obviously the heart that you and, and George and all of the, the actors and actresses put into it really did show. Cause I think it was something like, like Hito said that we talked about a lot when it, when it was premiering and when it was airing. And I talked to a lot of other JCL people about, cause it did mean so much to us and so much to this community to see this story In another format, because there's there's only so many movies and TV shows that have touched upon this subject, and I think it's always both exciting and and somewhat melancholy to see them because it it brings us back to to our parents, our grandparents, to our families who were incarcerated, or just to the overall trauma that our community faced from the war. So,
2: right, and that that's you know that's always that's always challenging, right? Because you don't we're not trivializing this event. mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you could say that there's a level of sensationalizing it. Um, there's a genre element added to it. You know, it's a it's a ghost show. It's not a documentary. But if it can open up this world and open up this, this period in history that so many people are still unknowledgeable about, and I know this because, you know, I still get messages from people who are fans of the show and they'll say... I had no idea this happened. I mean, that is, that's kind of the real win for the show. I think it can Mm -hmm. also educate about this terrible, terrible injustice. And that, I heard that multiple times on set, you know, from people in our crew, because, you know, we had a, we had a Canadian crew, but was really fascinating was like, I, I wasn't really aware that it happened to Japanese Canadians. Mm -hmm. Um, And there was, you know, there's, there's, museums and places where we filmed, where it's dedicated to these Japanese communities, which were kind of like the terminal islands of Canada that were just completely, you know, it was just like down here, you know, it was evacuated and it was vacant and it was kind of a ghost town afterwards. So that was, that was a real big revelation. And it's, it's so great that, you know, art and a show like ours can, can entertain, but it can also inform at
0: the same time, definitely, I think again, that's why it is such a big part of of why it's so important to the community and again, part of why i I studied history and part of why I studied film is I wanted to tell these stories as well, and also part of why I work for j c l now and I think sort of going along those same lines now that the terror infamy is sort of coming and gone and it still is obviously making an impact, but I think that also leaves the question is what do you see as for the future I think of of not only Japanese American stories, but but Nikkei stories, whether they be about Japanese Americans or even Japanese Canadian stories or or Japanese Latin Americans. Yeah,
2: I mean the fact that you just that you just said that, and these are these are characters and these are worlds and stories that we're not aware of. You know, I, I'm trying to think of a, a show or a movie that deals with oh, uh Japanese Brazilian identity, and they're just I can't. I mean, it's just there's so many. Of these stories and, and not just within, you know, Japanese ethnicity specifically, I mean, every, every other ethnicity, right? It's just, it's kind of, I don't know, it's hard to call it a golden period with everything that's going on, but it, it really is this moment of revelation where there are very interesting stories and characters and worlds, whether they're nonfiction or if they're fictionalized that can be developed that people are hungry for because you know they can see through um things that are being rehashed or that they've seen before but they're only in they're 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 being regurgitated just so that you know the 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 characters are switched up somehow or you know um it's a really important time for for storytellers right now Mm -hmm. because that's how you get the emotion across and that's how you you create that empathy so that You know, people watching the terror who feel bad about what happened to the Japanese Americans. I mean, there are so many different people across the world and so many different atrocities and injustices that that we learn about through film, whether they're documentary or or scripted. So it really just takes. I think it just takes courage and it takes conviction. And I see a lot of that in the younger generation, like with, with you guys doing, doing this. I mean, it's just such a powerful medium. So if you do have stories to tell and that you want to tell, don't be afraid because there might be a lot of people that say no, but there's all you need is that, that one person that, that is interested and that can bring it to someone. And, Mm -hmm. and who knows what can happen from there. But it, it it's gotta as my dad always tells me it's got to start with a good script <laughs> uh, yeah, I think there's so much so much room for for so many more not only Japanese or Japanese American, but for so many more stories all over the world to be told and, and people are really craving it right now. Can I ask you guys if there's anything that you guys are watching or or reading or or anything that's piquing your interest and your, your thinking could be either developed for the screen or, or could be something interesting for uh,
0: mainstream audiences to consume. I think <laughs> one, you know, and oh, I would both come, agree. Go, on. Go ahead,
1: yeah.
0: yeah I, you know where I'm going. Um, and it's, I technically is in development. Um, and I think you might've heard about this from George, uh, but uh hotel in the corner of bitter and sweet by Jamie Ford. No, if you're, if you're familiar with that one.
1: No. Matt, did you want to explain the book, or I can explain the book? Um,
0: yeah, sure, I can. I mean, it's. I think it's. It's well, it's personal for both he and I, since we're both mixed. But I think for me, because um, I'm also Japanese and Chinese, uh, mm-hmm. but the book's written by the author is half Chinese and half white. Um, the, the story's set in Seattle, but it tells the story of a of a young. Chinese boy who's who's living in Seattle just before the outbreak of the war. Uh, and he gets his parents put him in a school with mostly white kids. He's the only Asian kid until he meets a Japanese girl who also attends the school. And they become friends and sort of fall in love. And of course, uh, December 7th happens. And it's just this, this sort of heart-wrenching story of him trying to stay in touch with her as, her, as she's taken away to the assembly centers and then eventually to the, one of the camps. And it sort of goes back and forth between his his childhood and trying to find out what, what happened to her and where she went and waiting for her, and then him as an adult trying to to find her again. As um, in the nineteen eighties, as stories about the incarceration and about what happened start to resurface.
2: Wow, I want to I want to watch it. <laughs> I want to read it. That sounds so heartbreaking.
1: It's an excellent book um, by Jamie Ford, and uh, yeah, I, it's it's. I'm pretty sure they're trying to make a film out of it.
0: Yeah, they've they've been talking back and forth a bit. I know, um, and I think they said at one point that George George Takei had signed on as to be a producer for it. So I'm hoping sometime in the near future we'll hear more about that. But that that at least I think is one of the big one of the big ones that I've been thinking of for the last few years that hoping to see it on the screen someday.
1: I think um, aside from Hotel in the Corner and Bitter and Sweet. I think Matt and I have always dreamt of having like a go for broke four, four, two movie be produced in some capacity on the big screen.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been uh, a few different projects. Sure. Um, But to have a big Hollywood studio put that on would be, would be something. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see if it's in their interest to, to produce that. That'd be, to have like a, Spielberg level of, uh, you know, World War II production value put on that story. Definitely. Well,
1: I think there's one more question that we would like to ask you. And throughout this podcast, um, you've made it very known already about how important you think the community is and how you've remained connected with the community. I mean, even before this podcast, I... Saw that you did something with Kizuna in Los Angeles. Shout out to Kizuna. And I thought that was great that you are still like showing yourself in the community, showing that you care for the community and that you're, you're, you're present for the community, even after finding success in the entertainment industry. So we were just wondering, why do you feel that it is so important for you
2: to maintain this bond with the community? I don't know if it's because I grew up in southern california and the japanese american community was just such a big part of my life but i mean it's kind of it's kind of all i've known and you know now when i've 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 grown up and there's you know young professionals in my age group or younger uh who are now the leaders of some of these organizations i mean these are people that i grew up with i think Craig Ishii, who started kizuna uh, I was in Boy Scouts with him. Oh, really, I had a <laughs> church. Um, you know, another good friend of mine, uh, Randy Masada. He's very involved in the in Little Tokyo and the Japanese American community. And so it's you know people that we've met over the years who are from the JA community and remain to be active. Who are now kind of taking on leadership positions in some of these organizations. I mean, they've just kind of reached out. So it's really just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's all that I know. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, a lot of my good friends to this day are, you know, I met playing basketball in the, the JA leagues. So it's, it's kind of, it's kind of all, all that I know. And it's basically people like you guys just reaching out and saying, Hey, would you, would you mind doing this? And yeah, of course, you know, I'm, 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 I'm flattered. I'm honored to be, to be asked. Um, it's hard to think about yourself and to think of what you've accomplished in terms of being a J.A. But if that is something to be acknowledged and to spread whatever knowledge or experiences that I've accrued while being in this business, then that makes, that makes it even more worthwhile. You know, as actors we're, we're so focused on just, booking that next job and, you know, receiving those accolades and those compliments, everyone, you know, patting you on the back and giving you good feedback and this and that for your work. But these are always kind of the the moments in in my career that I I can kind of step back and say, okay, if this helps anyone else kind of take that leap of faith, you know, whether they want to pursue the arts or acting or film, Mm -hmm that makes me feel good. And, and, and I do, I encourage if anyone's listening, whether they, they've always wanted to write that thing, that story, you know, i I still tell my mom, you know, she, she wants to, she's, she loves writing. Um, she has so many stories to tell, whether it's of, you know, her families or, I mean, mainly it's, yeah, it's, it's her own story having grown up in Japan on an American military base. And, you know, which I think is, is pretty interesting. You know, I'm, I'm still, I'm still telling her, you know, write it, write that thing. It's never, it's never too late. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm talking to myself as well. Cause you know, I've always, I'm, I'm still, you know, wrestling with, with writing. It's, it's always a challenge for me, but it just takes uh, that first initial step. But you have my support, whoever you are, <laughs> if, if if you need it, you can do it and you matter. And people want to, want to hear your story.
1: Well, Thank you so much, Derek, for joining us today. It was a really great opportunity to be able to speak with you, especially since both Matt and I have become fans of yours.
0: And again, meeting a fellow Trojan and Cinematic Arts alumni is always a great opportunity, and especially one who's also Japanese-American. It's been amazing uh, talking to you today and and meeting someone who's been able to be a part of this industry and telling Japanese-American stories. So again, thank you so much for all that you've done for the community and on the screen and also behind the screen. Thank you, Matt. Don't want to discriminate, but fight
2: on to you and all the other Trojans. But, you know, fight on to everyone. Um, I, I really appreciate you guys taking the time and sitting down.
0: And um,
2: yeah, I, I had fun.
0: Now, with that being said, be sure to join us for our next episode coming out later this month. And don't forget to follow us at Nikkei Rising on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for release dates, episode titles, descriptions, and guests, as well as other updates on Nikkei Rising programs. To listen
1: to all of Season 1 and the rest of Season 2, you can find the Yonsei Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and the Japanese American Memorial Pilgrimages website, jampilgrimages.com.
0: The Yonsei Podcast is made by Hideo Ideza, Michelle Heckert, Yoko Fedorenko, Johnny Narita, and Matthew Wisely with theme music by Michelle Heckert. This episode is edited by Deza, and now we are sponsored by the Minidoka pilgrimage planning committee. This has
2: been the Yonsei Podcast, and it's been Yonsei! (laughs) (laughs) Remember in the beginning I said I'll try not to scream?
1: No, that was great. I loved it.